We're going to be in the book of Ephesians today, so if you guys want to get your Bibles out, turn to the book of Ephesians. Um, you can just turn to chapter 4, but we're going to be all over it. So, But we'll start off in chapter 4. Um, <clears throat> if you're in your uh, here without a Bible, there's Bibles in front of you, underneath the chairs in front of you. Uh, the page number, wrote it on my hand, 1795. It's like the good old high school days where you, yeah. It happens. Not as fancy. I don't have it on the, the screen. I don't think that far ahead. Anyways, um, yeah. Um, so I want to encourage you guys, if you, if you uh, don't have a Bible, get one or use your phone because uh, we're going to be reading lots of scripture today. And uh, I think you will be kind of lost if you're not tracking along. So uh, let's pray and then uh, we'll dive in to the study together. <coughs> Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us your word, which you tell us is a light to our feet, um, a lamp to our path. Lord, we, we thank you for your word, which gives us understanding of who you are and what you've done for us and the hope that we can have in you and the way in which we should live. And so we pray today that as we open your word, we would just grow um, more into uh, who you are and what you've done. Lord, we, we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, many of you guys are probably familiar with uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's a very beautiful letter that uh, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, and obviously the Spirit of God is the one who, who led him into to writing these things that he writes. Um, and, and in this book, uh, it's, it's pretty short, six chapters, but uh, so much is covered, um, and, and it's just this summary of the gospel, the summary of God's work in this world, um, God's re redeeming work in his people, and then what they should do in light of that. And so it's kind of broken up, really, um, in, into two parts. The first three chapters really are dealing with, um, dealing with um, just doctrine, right? Dealing with what God has done for us and who we've become in Christ if we know Christ. And then the, the, last, uh, the last half is dealing with how we should live in light of that reality of what God's done. Um, so I'll just read it in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, and you kind of will be able to see the break that I'm talking about. He says, I therefore, and the therefore is, is there because he's talking about what he just talked about in the first three chapters. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you or urge you to walk worthy, live worthy, of the calling to which you were called. <clears throat> and so that makes a transition into this, this place of, of how, okay, this is how we should live. This is how we should walk in light of what God's done. Um, and the order is very important, right? The order that first he starts off with saying, hey, this is what God has done in the first three chapters. And then in the last three chapters, he says, okay, now this is what you need to do in response to this. This is how you should live in response to this. Uh, the order is really important because if you flip it up, backwards, right, and you think, okay, I'm going to work really hard to become worthy of God's love, become worthy of God's forgiveness, worthy of these things. It doesn't work, right? That's us trying to earn God's grace. If the Bible tells us, we'll read it here in a bit, um, in Ephesians, that it is by God's grace that we're saved. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so, um, you know, the order is very important, and, and even at the outset, as we consider these things shortly, in, in a short manner, 
of time, I just want, if anybody's in here that doesn't know the Lord, I just want to encourage you to realize, hey, the things we're about to talk about are not yours. Um, they can be yours, right? And I hope that even as we read them, you, your, your desire is like, man, I want that. I need that. Like, I'm desperate for that, right? But you've got to realize, if you do not know the Lord Jesus, that what we're about to read is not yours, and there's no way you could walk in it um, unless those things become yours through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we need to have that perspective. But this is something, um, this, this message of, of living a life that's worthy of the calling that God has given us is, is all throughout the scriptures. I'll just give a couple scriptures on that. Philippians says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, the good news of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Colossians puts it this way, walk in a manner worthy. So again, this idea of walk has the idea of live. Live in a manner uh, that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. If you think about that, that's, that's intense, right? He's saying, hey, I'm challenging you guys, I'm urging you guys, walk in a manner that's worthy of God. Like, how do you do that, right? That's crazy. How do you do that? Walking in a manner that's worthy of God, God Almighty who created the heavens and the earth. How do we walk in a way that's worthy of God? Thessalonians, he would say it similarly. He says, for you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted, encouraged each one of you uh, and, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And so this is something we see all throughout the scriptures. Um, God calling us, if we know the Lord, if we've been saved, um, we've been redeemed, he's saying, hey, walk in a way that's worthy of the Lord. Walk in a way that's worthy of what he's done in your life. And so we're going to kind of think through that. But as we do, um, I just want to, to uh, get our minds ready for that, okay? Um, imagine you're in a forest walking, right? And, and you're up close and personal to all the surroundings right around you, right? Um, and there's beauty in that and value in that. But sometimes there's also value in a, like an airplane right over the forest where, where you're seen from a, a, a height and just looking at the, the uh, landscape from a height. And that's kind of what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to be trying to cover the whole book of Ephesians, and there's no way we're going to be doing it like we're walking through the forest, right? It's going to be like we're flying over. And so what I want to encourage is, hey, make sure you've got a Bible so you can see it with us because we're going to be covering a lot of Scripture with that. Just try not to get hung up on one particular thing as we go through it because it's just a lot of ground that we're covering. So just imagine we're kind of flying over the book of Ephesians, um, and that might help us have the right um, mind frame of how we're pursuing this. And then once again, I'm just going to say that as we pursue this, just realize if you don't know the Lord like the things we're about to say, they're not true of you, and you cannot walk in these things. Um, we're going to read in a minute, Ephesians is going to say this, that you, uh, God made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sin, right? Before we come to Christ, the Bible says we're dead, right? Dead people, they can't do anything, right? Dead men tell no tales. They don't do anything, right? You're just, you're dead, okay? And, and that's the idea here is, hey, we have to be made alive for what we're about to talk about to be true in our life. We have to be set free by the, the grace of God through faith. And so go ahead and turn back to Ephesians chapter 1. And we will start thinking through the things that God has done for us who are in Christ, right? The calling that he's called us to. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, says, 
Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's just a short intro, and then he just dives right in. And like I said, we, Paul just covers so much in these, these first few chapters, and so don't get bogged down in the middle of it. I know for me, as I've read it over the years, there's been times where I've just been like, okay, I can't even follow this because it's just one thing after another after another. He loves run-on sentences. He just goes for it, right? Um, but just let's do our best to stick with what, what God's speaking, and we'll kind of very briefly touch on these things that he speaks about that he's called us to as his people. So starting in verse 3, he dives in. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so first, he just speaks about this reality that if we belong to Christ, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And, and this is maybe just kind of at the outset, a summary of all that's going to follow. He's, he's saying, hey, you guys realize this? You've been blessed with literally every spiritual blessing possible in the heavenly places, right? Like, this is who you are. This is what God's done for you. And then he's going to go on to, to develop that. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And so he, he, he tells us, hey, if we belong to Christ, we've been chosen by him, and we've been chosen to be holy in him and blameless in love. And then he says, having, been predest- he, ha- having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And he just lets us know, hey, we've been, if we belong to Christ, we've been adopted his, as his children, brought in as his very own children. Now, these are things many of you guys have maybe heard for years, right? And it becomes so easy for us to just take these things for granted. God is so good to us. He's just, he, the scriptures speak of it as he's just lavishing his grace upon us, pouring it out. David said in the Psalms, hey, my cup is just overflowing, right? And when, when that's just, God is pouring that out towards us, it can be so easy for us to take these things for granted. It's like, oh yeah, it's always there. It's always there. It's always there. But if we really realize, oh my goodness, like what God has done for us, it's going to change our thinking, right? And Paul is actually going to develop that in the first three chapters and, and some into the later chapters as well. He'll, he'll go back to our old life before we came to Christ and say, hey, remember what you were like before Christ. So he, he, he's speaking in these first three chapters saying, hey, this is what God's done for you, but remember also what you were. And so we're going to get into that as we continue. Um, he says this, um, verse 6, he says, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And so he just lets us know, hey, we've been accepted into God's love, right? We have been um, brought into that. Verse 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And he just lets us know, not only have we been accepted into his love, that's, that's we've been redeemed, we've been forgiven of all of our sins. And once again, something that's very easy for us to take for granted, but when we think about like what that actually means to literally have all the guilt and the weight of our sin lifted off of us, put on Christ, and we receive the righteousness of Christ, like that changes everything. So much so that David, um, when he was thinking about this, I think in Psalms 32, he said, oh, how happy, oh, how blessed is the person 
whose sin is forgiven, whose lawless deeds are remembered no more, right? And, and he's just like, man, that is life-changing, right? That changes everything because the second we're forgiven, amazing things happen, and we're going to get to that. He says, with that um, forgiveness and that redemption that came, uh, the reason it came was because of the riches of his grace being poured out on us. Verse 8, which he made to abound, right? It's just overflowing toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So God's grace has been poured out on us, lavished on us. With that grace comes this wisdom, this understanding of who God is and what he's done for us, right? So that we're no longer in the dark. Continuing, verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Just speaks of the amazing plan of God in this world. And then verse 11, he says, in him also, and he's invited us to be a part of that, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. He just lets us know, hey, in Christ we have been given an inheritance. And I think chapter 2, verse 7, I'm going to read that to you because I think that gives us a little snapshot of what that inheritance looks like. He says um, that, that God has raised us up with Christ so that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ. He's just like, for all of eternity, right, this is what we've been invited into, it is getting to, to see and be a part of God's grace poured out on our lives, like all of eternity. Uh, and, and the scriptures further speak of that inheritance, a place where uh, sin is no more, right? Where death is no more, pain is no more, and we're in the very presence of God. Um, amazing, beautiful inheritance that we have. Beyond that, he says in verse 13, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He tells us, hey, in, in the midst of this, what God did, right, he not only promised us an inheritance, but he gave us a surety that it's going to take place, and that is his spirit coming into our lives, which gives us a confidence that what God has began, he's going to see through to the end. He's going to finish it through the power of his spirit. As the scripture says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, right? God's spirit comes to live within us, he seals us. It's this promise, hey, heaven is your home, right? You've been made new, right? I have, I'm putting a new heart into you, and I'm giving you the desire, right, to love, to have joy, to have peace, to have patience. You think of the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit of God works. This is dynamic. This is life-changing, right? The second our sins are forgiven, God does what he longs to do with his people, right? Come near to them, right? The Bible says we draw near to God, he draws near to us. The second we by faith, trust in Christ and, and receive him. The Bible says we've been given the right to become children of God. Our sins are dealt with, and God's spirit comes rushing in into our lives to, to make his home in us and to change us from the inside out, transformed into a new creature, a new creation. 
So we're sealed by his spirit. Verse 15, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in all of my prayers, that the God of our Lord, uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory. This is going to be one of, of two prayers that Paul prays um, in, in the book of Ephesians, and he just said, he's praying, oh God, would you open the, the eyes of of my brothers there in Ephesus, of my sisters there in Ephesus, that they could see what amazing things you have done and who you are. And then he's going to go on and to pray another prayer about that they would understand the depth and the height of God's love. And even in that moment, I just want for us to be in agreement with those prayers. And so let's just take a moment and pray that the Lord would do that as we're opening his word, that he would open the eyes of our hearts, that he would open um, our minds to his word and the realities that he's speaking to us through this book. So I'm going to pray, but I would really just encourage that to take place in y'all's hearts. Uh, the Lord says, if we ask, we shall receive. Father, we thank you for your word, and I just thank you for this amazing passage in Ephesians. And we just pray, Father, that you would open our eyes, you would open our heart to receive your word with humility, and that we would walk it out. We wouldn't just be people who hear your word, but we would be those who do your word, live it out. So we just ask for that, Father. Open our eyes to understand how amazing you are and what amazing things you have done for your people. And Lord, may we understand and grow to, to know, as we should with all of your people, all of your saints, what great love you have for us, the depth and the width of it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So he speaks of this. He's praying that they, they would know what is this hope. Right, And so as we think about that, we've been given as God's people this unshakable hope, right? That's how the book of Hebrews would put it, that the, the hope we have, it's unshakable, right? We're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And because of that, uh, uh, Hebrews would also say it's like this anchor for our souls in the midst of life's storms, in the midst of life's trials. We have this anchor, this hope in Jesus Christ that's not going to be shaken, right? What God has promised, he's going to do. Our inheritance is sure in him. He's going to finish what he's begun. Verse 18, um, um, he also speaks about this reality. He says that we would be enlightened, that we could know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that age which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave to him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. One of the things he says is in, in uh, verse 18, he says, we've become his inheritance. That's a crazy thing to think about, right? It makes sense that we have an inheritance in him, right? It makes sense that, that we have this amazing blessing to look forward to in him. But he also lets us know, and this is not something that's only isolated to this passage. There's other scriptures that speak of this reality, that God's people become his inheritance, right? That um, 
Um, you could almost even put the Song of Solomon's phrase, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine, right? This beautiful relationship where God actually is blessed by his people, right? That's incredible to think about that. We could be a people that bring blessing to God, maybe the smile of God or the happiness of God, right? Like we, we could be a part of that. That's why Paul's about to warn us, hey, don't be those who grieve the Holy Spirit. Instead, be those who bless him, right? And, and so he tells us, hey, we as God's people, have become his inheritance. Like, that's crazy to think about, right? What a privilege. What a privilege for that. And now he's going to switch gears a little bit. He's continuing in this thought of what God's done, but he's also, again, going to go back and say what we used to be before we came to Christ. So pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, And you he made alive who were dead, in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once walked, conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So he starts to describe what we used to be before Christ. He says, before Christ we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, right? Our sins had brought spiritual death into our lives, separated us, separated us from the life of God, separated us from, from all that the spiritual blessings that we were speaking about there, uh, separated from that. We were dead because of our sins, unable to save ourselves, unable to rescue ourselves. He also goes on to say that we were being controlled by the world. We were being controlled by Satan, the prince of the air, the power of this world, uh, and being controlled by our fleshly, sinful desires. He describes us as sons of disobedience, children of wrath. And so he's, he's reminding us, hey, this is what you used to be. This is what you used to be. But, verse 4, but God intervened. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, right? Even just total rebellion against God, we were dead in that. He made us alive together with Christ by grace, undeserved favor. You have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ. He just lets us know, hey, we've been given life, right? We were dead, but now we've been given life. We've been saved. We've been set free. And he goes on to describe how that took place. He says, for by grace, undeserved favor of God, you have been saved. Through faith, we receive God's gift of, of salvation through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Nobody's going to get to heaven and say, hey, look what I did to get here, right? That, that doesn't work. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And there's only one way that's made, um, and that's Christ, what he's done for us. But once we've been made new, he tells us this, for we are his workmanship. Once we've been forgiven, um, we receive the gift of God's salvation. We are his workmanship, masterpiece, poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works, right? So we're not saved by good works, but we are saved 
for them, right? We, that's one of the results of our salvation is we'll have good works. That's why James is able to say faith without works is dead. It's not a real faith because a real faith produces works because we're a new creation in Christ. So he says, God prepared these beforehand that we should walk in them. So this amazing reality, and in that he lets us know why we were saved, why we were brought to life. He says it was because of his great love, right? But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. So in the midst of this, we realize, hey, we are dearly loved. We are greatly loved by God. And we're not going to get into all of chapter 3, so I, I want to skip ahead for just a quick moment and read a section from verses 14 through 21. It's Paul's second prayer in the letter, and he's praying that we would understand God's love. And he says this, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man for this reason, right? That Christ may live, dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. How beautiful is that, right? Like when I was younger, I thought uh, this whole thing was about do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And God's like, hey, I want you rooted and grounded in love, right? Like that's what it's all about, right? Love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourself. It all flows from love, and it's because it's flowing from his love. We love because he first loved us, right? A beautiful reality. And he says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He's like, hey, I'm just praying that you could grasp this reality of God's love for you, the height, the width, the depth. He says, beyond your understanding, there's no way you're going to fully understand this thing, but I'm just praying. And he says, hey, and we have this, this hope that, hey, God is able to do more than we even ask for and pray for. Like, yeah, we are thick-headed, and it, sometimes it can be so hard for us to get these things through our head, but thank God we have a, a God who can do more than we ask for or think, right? And he's able to work that into our lives, and may we grow in that reality. But we just think about what God has done in our lives, and we realize, hey, we are a greatly loved people. We've been accepted in his love. <clears throat> And then um, picking it up in verse 11, he, he, he goes back once again. He says, therefore, remember, right? So he's saying, hey, go back, to remember what you were before. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, made with the flesh by the hands. Um, he's speaking about the Jews and the Gentiles here, and he's saying, hey, by the Jews, you were called outsiders, Right? You were not a part of God's people, and you were looked on as outsiders, and you were outsiders, right? And so before we came to Christ, we were outsiders. And he goes on to speak about what that looked like. Um, that at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world and what a uh, definition of those who do not know Christ it says, hey, we're, we were without hope. We were without God in this world. And if you guys think back, just 
take Paul's challenge here. He says, hey, remember what you were when you were outsiders. Remember what you were like before you came to Christ. Remember the hopelessness that was yours. Remember the, the farness that you had between you and God, the separation that was between you and God, right? As uh, Augustine put it, right, that our hearts, our souls are restless until they find their rest in Him. That is what our souls were like. We were a restless, hopeless people, right? We might have had some dreams and hopes, but if we had died in that moment, all those dreams and hopes would have been dashed. They were momentary, right? But, but now in Christ, we have this unshakable hope that no matter what happens, right? Like Paul would say in Romans 8, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, anything in this world of all creation could separate us from the love of God in Christ, right? Like God's promises are sure. His inheritance for us is sure. And, and so, but, but before that, that's where we were at without hope, without God in this world. Another thing he'll add later in, in uh, the book, in chapter 4, verse 17, I'm not going to read them right now, but uh, just an overview of them. He says, we were blind, we were callous, had become callous. We had been given over to uncontrolled, unbridled lust. He says, that's what you were before Christ. 13, but, but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This amazing reality. He says, hey, you've been brought near to God through the blood of Christ. Now, guys, that should, like, excite us. Think about, like, that is life-changing. That changes everything, right? When sin entered this world, death came into this world. It was because mankind turned their back on God, the source of life. What is your alternative if you turn your back on God, the source of life? It's only death. It's only despair. It's only hopelessness. As we are reconciled to God through Christ, everything changes, right? We go from death into life. As Asaph would put it in Psalm 73, the nearness of my God is my good. As uh, Psalm 16 would put it, that in God's presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand is pleasures forevermore. Being in the presence of God, that's everything, right? That's what it's all about, and that's where all of this is headed, right? When we think about the end of the story in, in Revelations chapter 21, we've got this amazing reality of what's happening, right? That, that God is now dwelling with his people. They will be his people, and he, and he will be their God forever. He's living with them. He's near them, right? That's where all this is headed to, and God is saying, hey, if you're in Christ, that's yours now, right? We have been brought near to God through the blood of Christ. And we should be pursuing that, right? As, as uh, I think James tells us, right, that we should draw near to God and he will draw near to us, right? That there can be um, degrees of where we're at on that, but in Christ we are there. We have a relationship now with God. We've been reconciled with God through faith in Christ, through what he's done on our behalf. And, and so we've been brought near to God. And then he goes on to say in verse 14 that he himself, Christ himself, is our peace, right? We, we re recognize this. We've been given peace in Christ. We've been given peace with, in, with God, right? Romans talks about that, that through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, we now have peace with God because of what he's done for us, right? And we also have peace with the rest of God's people, right? The Jews, he tells us that through Christ, uh, the separation that was there and the hostility that was there, the, uh, the space where we were outsiders from them, he says it's, it's been brought to an end. We've become one in Christ because all of us are made right with God in the same way, by faith in Jesus Christ, his blood on the cross. 
And so he says, for he himself is our peace who has made um, us both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished it in his flesh, the enmity, that is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. Amazing reality, the peace that God has brought into our lives. And then in verse 18, he says, For through him, through Christ, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Once again, we both, we've all been brought near to the same God, right? Through this, we have access, he tells us in verse 18, to the Father. In, uh, in, in verse 12 of chapter 3, he's going to say that we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Realize this, the scriptures tell us, hey, because of what Christ has done, we can literally go into the throne room of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and, and seek his mercy and grace in time of need, right? We have this bold place where we could just go there anytime and every time, right? What an amazing reality. We have access. And then in verse 19, he says, Now therefore, you who are no, uh, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, you're no longer outsiders, but now you belong. But you're fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. So he's already told us, hey, you're now a part of God's family, right? You've become the children of God. And now he's saying, hey, God's city, you have, uh, you have a right to be there. Right? You, you have citizenship in heaven. Think about our country, right? Like people, there's many people who, who spend years upon years of their lives, money and lots of effort to become a citizen of the United States. And they find that to be such a privilege, right? And in many times it is. Um, but how much greater what we have, that we can become citizens of heaven where we have the right of passage in, into the eternal dwelling of God. Like, wow, that's incredible, that we have that citizenship. We so often take it for granted. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So he tells us, hey, we're citizens of heaven. And then he tells us, hey, we are being made into a dwelling for God. And we've already kind of covered this, right? The Spirit of God has come to live inside of us, to dwell inside of us as individuals, right? He is personally in, in, uh, involved in our lives, pers personally living within the lives of the believers, changing them and working in them. But collectively, he's speaking of now, hey, collectively as a body of Christ, we are now being built into this holy dwelling place for the Lord, a temple of God's home, right? He's saying, hey, I, I, I'm going to live here. You're being built into the place of my home. Like, that's incredible to think that we are being invited into that as his people. That is who we are, and that's what he's working in us. Incredible things. And like I said, um, there's so much here, and we could add more to this list, you know, get a little closer in, right? But this is just an overview of these things. So as we're thinking about this, what God has done, this is the calling that he was speaking about, right? This is what we have been called to. We've been called out of this and brought into this. And now in chapter 4, he makes the change, right? He's saying, okay, verse 1 of chapter 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, 
beseech you, urge you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. He, he calls us to be somebody who, who, who walks worthy of what God has done. That word worthy has the idea of, of weighing the same, the same weight. Um, maybe an easy way for us to wrap our minds around that is uh, just an illustration uh, of a scale. And uh, if you guys will excuse me for the scale that I built that looks like a three-year-old built it. Um, I'm sorry for that, but, you know, that's, uh, that's what you get. Um, yeah, anyways, uh, the idea is almost like of a scale, right, where you've got, uh, it should balance out, right? And on one side, we've got, uh, it says God's calling. This is what nerds do. They 3D print things and use them for sermon illustrations. So on one side, it says God's calling, right? And then on the other side, we just have a little man, um, but you could put women there too, right? Men and women. Um, but uh, anyways, he's saying, hey, these should balance out, right? It shouldn't be God's call over here is, wow, God's done all this. And then over here, our life is so inconsistent with that reality of what God has done, right? He's saying, hey, if God has brought us out of death and into life, we shouldn't be living over here like we're still dead, right? We should be living as if we're still alive, right? That we've been made alive in Christ. Um, you could go through the list and think through that reality, right? But that's a, a helpful way. He's calling us to be those who have a life that weighs as much as the calling which he's called us, as the work in which he's done. It's not us trying to say, okay, I'm going to earn this thing, right? It's saying, hey, God has done this, therefore, I'm going to live this thing out. Another example which might make it a little easier to understand um, would be that of, of a superhero, so in your mind, just think of your favorite superhero, okay? You got it? All right, now if you pick Batman, it doesn't count, okay? Sorry, don't mean to be hating on Batman fans, but I'm just saying, Batman, he's not really a superhero. He's just got a lot of fancy gadgets. He's a real rich guy. He doesn't have superpowers. It's not going to work for this illustration, okay? So pick one other than, than, than Batman. Get it in your mind, okay? Now imagine, at some point in this superhero's journey, right, Typically speaking, they're given power, right? They're given this ability, and then with that ability, uh, usually some crazy thing happens right in front of them. The world's falling apart, and they have to step up and, and be a deliverer in that moment, right? But imagine a scenario where a superhero has the power but doesn't use it, right? Imagine that Mary Jane's fallen, and, and Spider-Man doesn't save her, right? Well, if you watch The Amazing Spider-Man 2... Well, then, that happened, right? It's not the real Spider-Man, right? Tobey Maguire, he caught her. So I'm just saying the real Spider-Man, <laughs> Tobey Maguire. Okay, I'll get off my superhero soapbox. But, uh, but seriously, think about that moment and how tragic it would be, right? Imagine Superman, and he has all these powers, right? And uh, what's uh, Lex Luthor, maybe the biggest bad guy in, in Superman? Uh, he, he's wrecking havoc, and, and Superman sees it, and then he just, meh, sits down on the couch and watches Netflix, right? It would be tragic, right? And a really boring movie, all right? Or imagine he's fighting Lex Luthor and not using his powers, and he's just getting pummeled, right? Uh, it, it would be a tragic moment and a really lame movie, right? Now, when we think about our lives, right, we're not superheroes, but we are Christians. Little Christ called in the name of Christ, given new life in Christ, and what a tragedy would be 
if we've been called by God, rescued and redeemed, and our lives are like this, right? Never weighing up to what God has done in our life. We're just there, you know, collecting dust. We're just there watching Netflix. We're never engaged in what God has done for us. That would be a tragedy. And that is what Paul's urging the people of Ephesus not to be a part of. He's saying, hey, this is what God's done for you. And because God has done this for you, you live this out, right? Going back to the superhero illustration, Uncle Ben, right? With great power comes great responsibility, right? With great power comes great responsibility. That's actually a biblical reality, right? Jesus said that in Luke. He says, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrust much, they will demand the more. And when we think about our lives, God has given us so much. He, he has done so much for us. When we look at that list that we were just talking about, this incredible reality of what God has done, the question becomes, okay, am I, does my life look like that, right? Or does it look like I'm Superman on the couch while Lex Luthor is destroying the world, right? Right, think about it, seriously. Like, does it look, does my life look like I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing? Does my life look like it's been chosen in him to be holy and blameless in love? Does my life look like I'm an adopted child of the living God? Does my, my life look like I've been accepted in God's love? Does it look like I've been redeemed, forgiven of all my sins? The weight of my sin is no longer on my shoulders. Does it look like I've been given grace and wisdom and understanding in God? Does it look like I have a solid inheritance? Does it look like the Spirit of God is living within me? Does it look like I've been given an unshakable hope? that I've become his inheritance, that I've been given life, that I've been saved and set free? Does it look like I've been greatly loved, brought near to God, given peace in Christ, given access to the Father? I mean, think about that. You know, does my prayer life weigh up to that reality that I have access to the very throne of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the maker of all the universe? I, I, no, it doesn't. I'll just be honest. Like, I'm, I, I realize that. I'm like, i got to grow in that, Right? Uh, it's not measuring up, right? There's, there's this imbalance in, in my life. Does it look like I'm a citizen of heaven and not of this world? Does it look like I've been made a dwelling for God? So Paul's going to make this transition speaking about walking worthy, and he's going to give it to us um, through the remainder of these chapters. Um, so we're going to walk through that um, briefly, but we are going to walk through it. So Picking it up in verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. He says, hey, what that would look like, right? One of the first things that would look like is this unity with God's people, this unity with our brothers and sisters, and it's done by the love of God, right? Done by walking in humility and gentleness and lowliness. And we think about it, I mean, what did Jesus tell us? He says, hey, by this, all the world will know that you love me by what? Come on, you can talk. By... Your love for one another, right? We, we would know his, uh, the world would know that we belong to Jesus because of the love we have for one another, right? And that's what he's saying. Hey, your, your walk, a worthy walk, 
of this calling would be loving one another as Christ has loved us. And then he goes on to say that it would look like um, putting on the new man and putting off the old. Um, <laughs> trying to think if we need to skip a section. We're going to go for it. Okay, uh, verse 7. It says, but to each one, so we're continuing the thought right now of, of this unity given by God. He says, but each one of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when Christ ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, speaking about God's gifting for the church and the building up of it. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to be a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So continue that idea of, of walking in, in um, this unity through Christ's love, right? and what God has done to make that possible in the church. And then he, he goes on to speak about this reality that we need to put on the new man and take off the old man. Verse 17, he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk. And once again, we were talking about this word walk. He's speaking about the way we live, right? The, the way of our life. He's saying, hey, this is the way your life should go. This is the way you should be walking out your life. Not as the Gentiles, not as the unbelievers is what he's speaking about. Those who do not know God, don't walk in their ways because they walk in the futility, the emptiness of their minds. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, callous, have given themselves over to lewdness, uncontrolled desire, lust, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned from Christ. If indeed you have learned, um, heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So he's, he's saying, hey, you've been made new, right? You're no longer dead. You're alive, right? The Bible says that anybody who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so he's saying, hey, live this thing out, right? That's not who you are anymore. That old man, you need to put that thing to death. You need to put it off, right? Speaking of almost like a, a garment or something, right? A jacket, like, hey, take the old man off. Put the new man on, right? Who is the new man he's created after the image of God? think about it. In the beginning, God created us in his image. Sin has so marred that, and God is seeking to restore that through Jesus Christ, that we would uh, become more and more like Jesus. The scriptures speak about that, that as we're um, seeing God through the mirror of his word, that we become more and more like him. Through the power of his spirit, if we belong to him, that's going to happen. 
He says, in true righteousness and holiness. And so he just says, hey, this is what we need to be doing. We need to be walking in the new man, taking off the old man. And then he says this, verse 25. He says, therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good for necessary edification, building up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So he tells us, hey, we need to walk in this way that's pleasing to him. In our words in our emotions, in our actions, as, as we consider this reality that he's calling us to, he, he, he says, hey, don't do this, right? Don't grieve the spirit that you've been sealed with, right? And so the opposite is what he's calling us to, be a person that pleases the Lord and not grieves the Lord. He says, hey, walk in a way that's pleasing to him in the words we speak, right? Let's not be lying to each other. Let's not be using words that pull other people down, and, and in our emotions, right, he speaks about dealing with anger. He's going to deal with some more emotions here in a moment. And then he says, and um, deal with it in our actions, right? He says, don't be stealing from other people, taking advantage of other people. Instead, work hard to bless other people, right? And so in all these manners of our life, he's saying, walk in a, wor- a worthy manner. And then in verse 31, he says this, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So he, he's saying, hey, we can't be those that are holding on to, to grudges. We can't be those who are holding on to this anger and bitterness towards other people, uh, having ill will towards other people. We can't be those going around gossiping about other people. He says, that has nothing to do with you anymore. Why? Because God forgave you, and if he has forgiven you, we must forgive one another, right? Everything he's telling us to do in this place of walking it out, he's saying, I've done this already, now you just walk it out, right? I forgave you, now you also forgive others because I have forgiven you. And so he he calls us to be those who are walking in his forgiveness. And then chapter 5 just beautifully says, I love these verses. Chapter 5, verse 1 of Ephesians, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. I love this imagery that he gives us. You think of, uh, of a child with, with their, a daughter with their mother or, or a son with their father, right? And if that relationship is going well, right, that, that parent's going to be doing things that are good and that child's going to be seeing those things and they're going to be trying to imitate uh, you, you've seen that before probably where um, maybe a dad is working on something and that child starts to try to help with that, right, and imitate that even though they're maybe not doing it totally right. They're pursuing that. And God's saying, hey, you're my dear children. I'm your father. Like, imitate me. Look at me and, and follow me. Imitate me. And then he just specifies what that would look like. Verse 2, he says, and walk. Again, our word walk. Live in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice 
to God for a sweet smelling aroma. He says, hey, look at the cross. Look at what Jesus did for you, right? Jesus gave his life for you. You look at that love and it's like, oh my goodness, what an amazing love that while I was still a sinner, Christ would die for me. He would take my place, the place that my sins deserve, that literally at the cross, Jesus would become guilty of every evil and vile thing and every thought, every murder, every rape, every evil thing in this world, every genocide. Jesus became guilty of those things and bared the bore the price and the weight of that sin. And you see the great love, and that's what the scriptures tell us, that you want to see the clearest example of God's love, you look at the cross, that while we were still sinners, God's love was displayed, that Christ died for us. And so he says, hey, walk in love. What Jesus has done for you, the love that he has shown for you, you now live that out every day. I love the way the New Living Translation translates that verse. He says, Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and gave himself for us as a pleasing sacrifice. And that's just the reality of what Christ has done. And so God is calling us to be those who walk in love like Jesus. And then moving from that, he starts to speak about this place that we should walk as children of the light. We're no longer in the darkness. So he says this, but fornication, which speaks about sexual sin, right? Um, things that were, were sex is taking place outside of marriage in, in any type of context, and that could also follow into, um, you know, pornography and all those sorts of things. He says, uh, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting or as is properly weighed out for you who are the saints, right? We, we should be measuring up to what God has called us to, what God has done. We're no longer the old man. <clears throat> he says, um, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, joking, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For you know this, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. Are you saying, hey, that, that lifestyle has nothing to do with who God is. Those that are living that lifestyle are proving out that they have not been brought into the kingdom of God. They have not been changed by the Spirit of God. And so he's saying, hey, don't be participating in that anymore. That's not who you are. And he goes on to say, verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light live as children of the light. You're no longer in the darkness. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. He he just tells us this, hey, the Spirit of God, He's not producing darkness in your life. He's producing good, righteousness, truth, right? He's not going to be leading you back into those old ways that are dark and that lead to destruction. And so he says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, speaking of evil, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore it says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Right, so he's telling us, hey, if that's where you find yourself today, right, you find yourself, I am in the darkness, right, I haven't been brought into the light. He's saying, wake up. Wake up, rise from the dead, right? Turn to Christ and Christ will give you new life through his death and his resurrection. He will give you new life and he will give you light. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever comes to me, whoever trusts in me, will, will have the light that leads to life, right? We'll no longer stumble around in the darkness, right? Think about before we came to Christ, we were stumbling about. We didn't know up from down. We didn't know right from wrong. We were constantly hurting ourselves and other people. And, and he says, hey, no, not anymore, right? You're light in the Lord. He's changed you. And so now he's going to speak in verse 15 um, through 21, speaking about living a life that is wise, walking wisely, filled with the Spirit. Verse 15, he says this, See then that you walk circumspectly, the idea is intentional, mindfully, carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Um, he, he tells us this reality. He says, hey, don't waste your life away, right? Redeem the time. Buy it back every moment. Take the most of it because this life is short and this world is full of evil and we're supposed to be the light of this world, right? And this is actually the passage that I was planning to teach on um, was why I went to Ephesians and then I was reading through the book and I was just like, we got to cover this whole thing. So, um, but anyway, because um, it's just great stuff. Um, he goes on to say this. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, or it will ruin or destroy your life, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Right? He gives us this reality. He says, hey, don't be drunk with wine. Right? Don't be letting other substances outside um, control your life, right? That's what, that's what alcohol can do, right? He doesn't say we can't drink, but he says we cannot get drunk, all right? You could apply that to other things, right? We cannot get high, right? He, he tells us not to lose control of our mind, not to lose control of our body to another substance, right, or any other thing. He says instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, be controlled by the Holy Spirit, and what would the Spirit do, right? Alcohol, weed, those things remove self-control, and lead to really stupid and broken things, right? The Spirit of God within us, one of the fruit is what? Self, self-control, right? He would lead us to be self-controlled so that what our life is doing, we're, we're being those who are seeking to walk wisely, intentionally, right? Seeking to understand what the will of the Lord is. And so he says, don't walk like a fool. Walk as those who are wise in this world. Make the most of every opportunity. Be filled with God's Spirit empowered by him and led by him. And then he doesn't stop there, right? We might think, okay, you know, uh, so, some of us think, okay, my Christianity starts when I walk through the door on Sunday morning, and then when I walk out, maybe I'll show up on Wednesdays occasionally, right? But maybe others would think, oh, well, when I'm out at, at you know, and about in public, I'll, I'll, that's where it starts, you know, I need to represent. But what God does here is he says, hey, Every place of your life, right, even your home, even the most difficult places, even your marriage, that's what he goes to next. Walk it out in your marriage. Um, verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Husbands. Love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, 
so that he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of the water of, by the word, that he might present to her himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband's. Right? He says, hey, in light of who God is and what he's done, even in your marriages, you are to live worthy of this calling. And then he goes on to move it further into the home, right? to walk it out fully in the home. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And then he speaks a word to the fathers, and, and you could apply it to mothers, I'm sure. Um, he says, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. He says, in this home, right, you are to walk worthy of this calling while you're out and about and while you walk through the doors of your home, right? Everywhere, it's supposed to be genuine, real, without hypocrisy. He's saying, hey, in your home, Walk this thing out. Children, honor your parents. Parents, raise your children in the ways of the Lord. Don't provoke them to wrath. And then he goes beyond that into our workplace, right? Verse 5, he says, Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling. Why? In sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not as eye service, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And you masters, do the same things to them. Give up threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. He says, hey, in the workplace, right? Obviously, back then, it was a very different context, and a lot of people were walking in, in uh, servitude, Right? But for us, he's saying, hey, employers and employees, if you know the Lord, walk worthy of that name, right? In the way that you rule over your employees, in the way that you serve your boss, right? We do it for the Lord, not for them. And then he closes with walking it out in spiritual warfare. And if we think, if there's anyone who's seeking to keep us on this side of the spectrum where we are not living a life that is equal to the calling of God in our life. Satan is fighting against that tooth and nail. And he says, stand strong. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you 
will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be um, given that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, the good news for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to. As we think about this, this walk that he has called us to, this high calling and walking worthy of that. Maybe after this, you're like, maybe you're actually asleep, or maybe your brain is just fried. Um, or maybe you're overwhelmed. You're like, oh my gosh, look at that list. Like, that's un- crazy. It's overwhelming. It should be. This is the call of God Almighty in our lives. And it is overwhelming. It is awesome. It is incredible. And it really is impossible. It's impossible. We cannot do this in our own, right? It, take this away, right? Take away the calling of God, and this is impossible, right? The only reason we're able to live this out is because God has called us. God has called us. And that is what makes it possible for us to live this out for what God calls, He completes, right? With, you think about what He says. He says, uh, no temptation has overtaken us except what's common to man, and He will always provide a way out right? He will always provide a way out of temptation. He'll always provide strength to do what is right. And so as you look at this, don't, don't feel overwhelmed in the sense of, of, of the reality of what God is able to do, right? He's able to do more than we could ask or think. We just read that, right? So, and, and this isn't asking for perfection. We should be pursuing perfection, but, but the scripture said we all stumble in many ways, but it should be, we should be over and over wanting to come closer and closer to our lives weighing up to the calling of God. So uh, Proverbs puts it this way. He says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what they stumble over. Right? He says, hey, the path of the righteous, right? It's like the sunrise. You see it in the morning, and at first it's dark, but as it gets closer and closer to noon... Right? It gets brighter and brighter. He says, hey, that's what the path of the righteous is like. Your life right, should be coming more and more moving this direction. We should be pursuing this. Right? If all you get from this message today is that you would wake up every morning and pray to the Lord and say, God, help me to live a life worthy today of your calling in my life. That would do wonders in our lives. That we would be pursuing this. Right? Like Paul said, this one thing I do, I haven't attained this. I'm not fully here, Paul would say, right? but I'm chasing after this. Right? This one thing I do, I forget what's behind, and I'm chasing after what's ahead. I'm pressing on to what God has. Philippians puts it this way in an amazing way, one of my favorite verses um, in, in this reality. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice he does not say work for your salvation. It's impossible. We already read about that. It is impossible to work for our salvation, but he says work out your salvation, meaning you've been saved by God's grace. Now live it out, walk it out, work it out. He says, for it is God working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what is pleasing to him. Realize this, God is saying, hey, I'm supplying what you need here, right? My calling is here on your life. I've saved you, I've redeemed you, I've forgiven you. My love is upon you, my spirit is within you. Live this thing out, walk it out, work it out with fear and trembling. Take this seriously, right? God has saved us. Like, when we look at that list that we were looking at, man, it's like, take that seriously. God has blessed me with every spiritual blessing. God has redeemed me. God has forgiven me. God has loved me. He has poured out his grace upon me. Take that seriously. Live it out. 
live it out. Paul would say the same thing to Timothy. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, speaking of worldly things. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Then he says this, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says, hey, take hold of the eternal life to which you've been called, right? He says, it's yours, but take hold of it, right? You've been called to it, take hold of it. A lot of times when we think about eternal life, we're just like, oh, when I die, that's when it'll take place, that's when it'll happen. God says, no, right? Take hold of it now. Jesus said eternal life is knowing God, walking with him, knowing him, right? Paul tells Timothy, hey, take hold of this thing, right? It's yours, but take hold of it. Walk it out, live it out. God is worthy of this, guys. When we think about the... the uh, book of Revelation says this, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. God is worthy. He's been so gracious to us. He's been so kind to us. He is worthy of us living a life that is worthy of the calling to which he's called us. That's where he's calling us, that we'd be pursuing that day in, day out. And the reality is, guys, we can miss it. We can miss it. Otherwise, he wouldn't tell us to do this, to walk it out, right? Think about Lot, I mean, you look at that guy's life, right? And if you're just reading the Old Testament, you'd be like, man, is this guy even saved? Is he even, you know, you know his life is like this, man, the, the calling on his life, and he's nowhere close to it. You can't even tell he knows the Lord. It's not until the New Testament that God tells us, hey, Lot actually knew me, right? And on the inside, he was being tormented by the things he was associating himself with and putting himself near to, right? And so it's like, okay, I don't want to be like that. But then you think of Abraham, he wasn't a perfect man, but his life was like that. It was like the rising sun, more and more coming to here, walking in the calling of God, right? I mean, you think of his life. Yes, he, he stumbled, right? But then he came back to the Lord, and he sought to walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. He, he uh, lived, the Bible tells us, as a foreigner in the world, as a stranger. He could have, you know, set up shop and made himself this permanent home, this permanent structure, but it says he, he had his eyes on the Lord, right? He had his eyes on the promise of God. And so, like, we can miss this. We can miss this. And so God is calling us, and he's worthy of it. So we're going to close in prayer. If you guys have questions, the worship team will come up, and, and then uh, we'll close in worship. But if you have questions or anything, please feel free to grab one of us um, who, who know the Lord here, or um, if, if you have questions about being saved, and if, uh, if you know the Lord and just need some encouragement, grab a brother or sister in Christ and, and talk with them, pray with them. Um, I will say just closing, if you don't know the Lord and you're here today, just realize these things that we've been talking about, they're not yours, but God wants them to be yours. The Bible says that anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, we just thank you for your great love. Thank you for the goodness that you've shown to us. Lord, we don't deserve any of it, but you've poured out your grace upon us. Lord, in light of this, may we live a life that is pleasing to you. May we live a life that weighs up to the calling of our lives. Lord, weighs up to what you have done in us and for us and are doing in us and for us. Lord, you're telling us that you would give us the desire and the power to walk in these things. So Lord, help us to walk this thing out in fear and trembling, trusting you every step of the way. We pray for this, Father, and if there's any here that don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would come out of the darkness into your marvelous light by trusting in Christ, finding forgiveness of their sins, and finding life and love and peace and hope and eternal inheritance in you. We pray for all this in 
mighty name of Jesus. Amen.